Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience. So we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Good morning and a very, very warm welcome. Yeah, Friday morning, we're back again. So the Lisa Ninda show for half an hour anyway. <laughs> so it's good to have people with us. And uh, Lisa, how are you this week? I'm all right. I was just about to say it's the dream team again on our bi-weekly uh, meetings or sessions, whatever we want to call them. They're not really meetings, they're sessions. No, I'm good. Good. Really busy at the moment, but uh, good busy. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, I know, you know, with with mental health, we talk about things generally and we both write about them, put them out. But, you know, lived experience, you often talk about yourself and about how much things have gone through. But it's not a short journey, is it? It's taken you time to sort of mend and, and get to where you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been in two back-to-back relationships that have been fairly, uh, shall we just call them testy for today? Um <laughs> Yeah, and uh, actually the topic that we are going to move to talk about today is codependency, so it it really links quite nicely into, you know, it's taken me from the last one, I've been on my own for nearly eight years now, so it's taken me a long time to kind of unravel and find myself as a result of that, uh, because of some elements of the topic that we are going to talk about today. Yeah, and most definitely, and I think an awful lot of people... um, can put to part of this and especially uh, generational because if you go back uh, I, I can remember when I was young you know it, it was quite normal her uh, to have the expectancy of um, certain people um, environments that you know the man was quite violent that domestic violence was not looked at at the same as it is now so trying to go back and sort of create from the past now I'm not saying it was any more right then, but society was different. So the the outlook was different. Yeah, and I think people's expectations are higher. And actually, you know, it should have never happened if if we really want to look back. But we, we can't go back to history now. We we can only move forward and look at um how we can um help people in the future rather than looking to the past, really. Exactly. And you know, just just uh, to define codependency because it does have a variety of meanings um so how would you describe it Lise? well it's a power imbalance where one person is doing more for the other person than than uh yeah so so one person's doing more in that whether it be a relationship a friendship a family situation 
that person is doing more but it goes beyond that it's to the detriment of their own well-being their own sense of identity and their own life so codependency is not just about doing a bit more you know or every parent in the land would be going i'm codependent my child's codependent on me of course they are they are child but um when it's really serious and and the stuff that we're going to talk about today it's when you lose that sense of self as a result of being in a codependent relationship and i, I think there are different ways of, of looking at this that you know some people uh, are instead of enabling them are disenabling them by taking over and sort of running their lives and doing things like this and sometimes it could be for uh generally good uh, best of sort of reasons you know but you know looking at it it's because uh, sometimes we all do it you know like if somebody's doing something for us and we think oh you know we can do that quicker or we can do that better you take over and do it or speak for them then you know you're actually doing this because you are disempowering them because it's more compatible for you to be able to do something so yeah you know, and it's like the thing, if you've got a child and you constantly tie their shoelaces for them, they don't learn to be independent and do it themselves. Um, but it's when it becomes really kind of serious and it's used as a manipulation tool. That's the bit that I feel I can add some value to today and talk about a little bit. Yeah. And and also, I mean, this, this, is, this doesn't happen just when you start in a relationship. This has already been developed beforehand because you can see from an awful lot of people that go into these type of relationships that they're, they're already primed you know like a very thin end of the wedge is people pleasing because you know, learning to say no and having boundaries is something that is developed over time you don't just start that when you go into your first relationship whether it's a friendship or whether it's a um, romantic relationship that this has already been brought up and built up in time before that. So I think it's you know a time to sort of look back and see how well, it is a form of grooming, you know, for, for want of a better word. Yeah. You know, uh, it might be that you've had one or more parents that have created your their their um dependency on you. So it might be that they've played victim if you wanted to hang out with your friends or they've kind of removed things from you if you don't do things that serve a purpose for them so then you grow up in this environment where you want to please them because you don't want to upset them because there are consequences attached to that upset um, and then you take all that psychological information and and then get in a relationship with someone and transfer that to them you know I see people who are like overly bearing doing things for people that can actually do them for themselves oh I'm, I'm gonna pack his lunch today it's like well I can't pack his own lunch or if I don't do that it'll it'll go crazy um yeah again that comes back down to sort of a, a power and and boundaries because when you first go into a romantic like relationship you you do want to do things for other people you know for the other person and you you know you you think of it as caring but then when it's to the state like that when you're saying you know oh if i don't do it there's consequences then it's not a healthy relationship because you know it's going to be a give and a take on a 
to make it a healthy relationship because it's two adults. Whereas, you know, in a lot of the uh, relationship, it turns out into a dominant parent and child psychologically rather than, you know, physically. Absolutely. We've got a couple of questions. So we'll answer these questions. I've had them emailed over to me. So how and why do people become codependent? So we've we've touched on that a little bit, but let's let's explore it in a bit more detail. So how and why do people become codependent? I think you know both parties, whether we're looking, it's easy to say it's a perpetrator and a victim, but um, the victim very often um, allows the perpetrator to progress because they don't put the boundaries in at an early stage. They make excuses for them or they, they let them get and say, oh, it's okay, you know, uh, it, it's not important. And then it escalates because it's like, if I can take this little bit of, uh, of room, then I can take a bit more and a bit more. So they test the waters. It's not like you go out on your first date and get a black eye. Yeah, and I think we need to look at it from two perspectives. So look at it from the person that is codependent and look at it from the other perspective as well. So some of the things that I feel from, from supporting other people who are in domestic abuse situations particularly is that fear of control, uh, of losing control. So if they'll lose everything if they don't do what that person wants them to do, you know, and that, that could be um, home, it could be the relationship. It could be if it's a friendship, friendship situation. They develop this sense of learnt helplessness. Oh, well, I can't do it, so you might as well do it for me. And I think in my situation, I was told repeatedly that I was useless, that I was thick, uh, I was stupid. I couldn't even load a dishwasher, so I stopped loading the dishwasher, stopped doing things around the house because and I I developed that learned helplessness because it was like well I can't please whatever I do I'm not going to do it right yeah and that's scared of abandonment I think certainly from both of my relationships that I would say, that I've been in that have not been great um there was always this over hanging fear of abandonment that I wasn't good enough that someone else would step in and take my place and be more attractive thinner better than I was and actually that carrot was constantly dangled so that locked me into this co-dependency and then the other side is this sense of duty as well I'm somebody's wife I'm somebody's partner I'm somebody's mother I'm somebody's daughter depending on what type of dynamic you're in there's this I feel that people who end up being codependent and duty fulfillers they they end up fulfilling kind of a role that they've they've identified with and then there's loads of practical reasons money is a big reason that people stay in relationships and one of my bugbears I think is when people will say to particularly a victim survivor domestic abuse why don't you just leave it's not that easy we've already talked about this in other situations where there are practical reasons do you want to be homeless do you want to be without money do you want to be without your children actually there's you know it, people who have driven others to codependency really um you know will use those as a manipulation tool so i've kind of gone out round and round in circles here with with uh, with some of the reasons i think people are codependent and stay actually in quite toxic relationships what about you linda 
Yeah, uh, I agree with all of them. And also, you know, once, once there's children involved, there's a lot more um, manipulation possible because they will use the children as um, as pawns as well. So trying to move with them. But of course, then it's already creating the next generation you know, living within this environment. So actually taking the stand. And also, it could be a very dangerous time because if this person is um, used to being manipulated, for them to stand up, uh, it's a dangerous time for them because you know all of a sudden they're coming back to them to themselves. But it's also for the perpetrator because you know they're losing control. So you don't know how they're going to react to this. So it's vitally important to get support from the right people because even talking to friends and family they've they've got their own agendas they've got their own emotional ties into this and they don't always give you the the support or the unbiased information that you actually need whereas actually going yeah. out and talking to somebody else they can they can give you that that sense of security that there is a way out because some people you know they just um believe that this is it i can't i can't go anywhere this is what i must do and in some instances family have created it in the first place because they've had those you've had those codependent relationships in the first place where you know maybe one parent's played victim so you've had to go to their rescue all the time then that transfers and if somebody's hooked into you in an abusive relationship they've already got the fact that you're quite empathic they know that you've already been in a testy relationship because they've probably done their research and work and asked you questions up front there's also a thing called trauma bond um if someone's been in an extremely serious relationship trauma bonds very much like stockholm syndrome if you get to a stage where you've been isolated from everybody around you and you're only with an intimate partner who is psychologically or physically abusing you then you only know that world and it's really hard to break free. And even when people do break free, they still feel bonded to that person because they have literally had their identity stolen. They've wore the clothes that that person's asked them to wear. They've acted in the way that that person's asked them to act. They've not hung out with the people that they've done. The language patterns, the narratives, the story belongs to the abuser or perpetrator. So they're bonded by that trauma. And it's very, very similar to Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. I mean, we're talking here about coercive control and about narcissistic and psychopathic traits. Yeah, this is without bringing any type of addictions into it, because if you've got an addiction involved in this as well, I mean, the priority is always the addiction because that will always take priority. So whenever you're dealing with anything, the addiction, because if that, that person will lie through their teeth um, and believe black is white, you know, for, for, to, to feed their addiction, first so this is a sort of the overriding so that's the first thing to deal with um but but you, you can't do this for somebody else or on behalf of anybody else no matter how much you want to so even if you've got good support systems around you which is often very difficult because you've had the isolation and they've manipulated you into a place where you don't have that but the at the end of the day you know making that that choice as a human being because i think when you get to the you feel hopeless you feel worthless you don't see that there's actually another choice to be made and i think that's that's when the 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 danger happens and we've seen recently in the news 
where um, people, uh, women in particular, and again, we, we this isn't a one-way track. It goes right across genders. It goes right across age groups. Uh, it's not uh, that majority, yes, are female victims and male perpetrators, but by no means is it always that way. And I think that there's no real good figures and statistics to support the others because people are very reluctant to report it, especially males when they're on yeah. the end. I wrote an article about that this week because it was International Men's Day on um, last Sunday and I wrote an article about why men don't speak out. I mean, I'm not a man, but I do live with amongst some great family male members and I, I asked them, you know, and the reasons are the st stigma attached to it. You know, imagine if they're in a codependent relationship with, say, someone who has got an addiction, so they've got an alcoholic wife or partner, and they feel like they're doing everything they can. They're losing their friends, they're losing their identity. Speaking out about that can be a little bit embarrassing for them as well. Um, and I think, and I am generalising, but I do think women are better at speaking out and better at saying things than, than men. I think it's it's got better because you know if you look back a couple of gen uh, a couple of generations you know like my parents and things like this uh, they would have found it very very difficult and I think women still but there is more avenues and I think also for children children are more listened to now whereas before you know people wouldn't have listened to the children oh you know my mum and dad had a, a, a row or you know my mum's been crying all weekend yeah before they would have just dismissed it whereas now people are listening to the children which is a good thing yeah legally they're seen as victims under the domestic abuse act now so they're seen as victims if they're living in a household where there is domestic abuse so so that that's a good thing because there is avenues for them to speak out and actually a lot of my work is with young people as you know yeah and I, th I think that's uh, that's an important stage that you know like before a child would never be uh, thought to be listened to you know they would always take on an adult and again you know these are very manipulative people they could put on a really good uh facade for outside world and we're not just talking about physical abuse here i mean the mental and psychological abuse often is far more um damaging in a long run than the actual physical i'm not yeah, making any less of the physical abuse but the thing is physical abuse people can see it and you know when they they really get carried away it you know is visible from uh the outside quite easily you know a lot of them will sort of work from uh, the neck down to where it can be covered but you know there is evidence whereas with the psychological and emotional abuse there isn't any external uh, right except the demeanor of the person the way that the person talks about themselves the way that, that you know they are uh, around other people yeah you know, there are uh red flags to use your term but you know, people don't always look for them so that's a, an often a, a way again of getting people isolated because it's quite easy for the perpetrator to say oh look at them you know they 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 just behave badly they're not good socially and so making... people make excuses for the behavior as well don't they they make excuses 
one of the things that has struck me and actually it links to a question that we've been asked um is around that how you align yourself to someone who's behaving badly an abuser a perpetrator so you're in an abusive situation and there's some really heinous examples of this where you see couples who've colluded to murder a child or they may have murder, whether that be their own or other people's and what you've seen is actually there's some sort of underlying codependency domestic abuse situation going on here where a mum with a child might have got into a relationship with a guy um, and as a result that child has been uh, killed or something really serious has happened they've been seriously abused and that mum who might have previously been quite a caring mum has colluded with this new partner to do the most horrible things to her own child what are you this is your background this is not my world so I'm not explaining it particularly well so I'm going to ask you for your take on that and how that links to codependency because that's kind of a question that couples who kill what do you think about that codependency situation? That's that's kind of the question, really. Right. Uh, well, first of all, it's minute numbers. It's not, yeah, you know, because uh, when it hits the papers or serial killers, if you look at, look at uh, the West and uh, uh, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley and things like this, yeah, you know, they are minute numbers. The domestic violence within or um, damage that is done within family homes yeah is higher in the respect that, that a lot of it doesn't get put out because especially if it's sexually abused the victim is protected and because the perpetrator is so close that they get the protection as well in that respect but again i think you know when you are going looking for for better words uh, to meet somebody you already know the type of person that you want to, to meet up with. And then when you meet somebody with those characteristics, you think they're wonderful. So if you're already primed from living, because when you're a child, you don't know that there's any other type of relationship than the one you're living in, because they are your parents, they're your important peers. Yeah? And that's what you're learning from. Yeah? So... When you uh, go into your relationship, your first relationships and things like this, you are looking for things that you feel comfortable with. So if you already know that uh, that's the way a relationship, you will be looking and the perpetrators are exactly the same. So it's like your magnet because you've already put these things in. You're predisposed to want these things. This is why you know, in, in lots of relationships, as you said at the beginning, Lisa, you know, you had two relationships. It's not unusual that somebody is in a, a, a toxic relationship. They have the courage and the, you know, the strength to come out of that relationship. Then the next relationship they go into with somebody totally different, it might be totally different physically, but they've got the same traits as the one before. Characteristics. So I, I've spent eight years on my own and during the eight years I've spent a lot of time unravelling what it is that I am attracted to, why they're attractive to me. So I feel like I'm quite easygoing. I'm quite, you know, a, a weird mix of being quite driven and easygoing at the same time, which is a really odd mix. But I, you know, I kind of happy-go-lucky, take things on the chain, goes. But I do crave some sort of stability and control in my life, and I don't know what that 
looks like or where it comes from but i know that i always admire people that look like they are con in control okay but in control is different to being controlling <laughs> as i have spent the last eight years trying to unravel and find out um but it is normal i do see this a lot of people that i support for someone to bounce from one relationship straight into another. And some of that is that they they need to have, they always need to have somebody in their lives. They need to have that somebody who either needs them because there's something missing within them, or they need to have somebody because they're really missing it and they, they can't just live on their own. I hear this so much. I, I can't be on my own. Uh, and I had a conversation with a male uh, friend of mine the other day. He said, I just can't get her out of my head. We've been split up for few months now i just can't get her out of my head but she wouldn't let me see my friends i wasn't allowed to go anywhere we had to share all our money and she wasn't really contributing but i'm really missing her but i know it wasn't right yeah i think you know an awful lot of people are quite scared of being on their own and i think there's a bit a big difference to being alone than lonely you know, you you, uh, you can, and I think women are, are better at this in some ways because you know a woman walks into a house, she can always find jobs to do or things to do or people to you know have a chat with. A man doesn't always do this, so I think it's easier for a, a man to you know, want to be just in a relationship for for the company. I think a lot of women do it because they're in that mindset. So actually getting them to stand back and being on their own and being content with being on their own is a huge step. It's like silence. So many people uh, really struggle with silence because they feel that they've got to fill the gap or they've got to speak or they've got to make do something. So to me, that is always a, a step that we you should work with first. I'm laughing because I've worked on the bit about being on my own. I'm quite comfortable being on my own. I love it. I don't know about the silence bit. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe I should work on my own on that. <laughs> um, but going back to sort of couples who kill and, and, and kind of serial killers, do you think that there is some codependency element in there? If you take, you know, the really famous one like Myra and Ian Hunt, uh, not Ian, that's another, that, Myra and Ian Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Ian Hunt is a different one. We're not going to go into that one today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I stick to the ones that are not alive. <laughs> when you're looking at history, you're you're really only looking at the, the three couples because you've got... Um, Myra, you've got Rose, and then you've got the the young couple that killed uh, Edwards, uh, that killed the the mother and the sister. So yeah, you know, in all of the time, very few people. So trying to get those equations together, and when you actually look, Rose had a horrendous um, background. She was abused from a very early age. There was lots of dominance. There was coercive control within her, and she met up with a man at a bus stop, and they came together Myra met Ian uh, at work but she was much more into him than he was into her but she changed herself so much to be like him and definitely at the beginning I would say that you know he was a driving force and she was a very willing learner and wanted to please him very much because she was very much, a, you know, a, she was looking at taking orders before, you know, she went to uh, this place to work where she met Ian. But 
uh, I think after oh, a time. going to be a nun, wasn't she? Yeah, I remember you saying in one of your talks. But, uh, yeah. And then, you know, she got into this and, and ran with it herself. So I think she was far more competent and definitely very manipulative after the fact than, you know, at, at the time. So she grew into that role mo most definitely. So I think, you know, it's to, to go that far with two people is very unusual. And I think you know, the, that's why the fact that people make it up into a big thing like Bonnie and Clyde, you know, such a, a big couple. But there was one couple out of all of the gangster people. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's like kind of the extreme of the situation when we're looking at codependency. I mean, we could spend hours on this topic because it <laughs> is a really long topic. The, the other thing that I wanted to mention is, is not romantic relationships, but around that caregiver. Um perspective so I have quite a few friends who've got older parents and they now are trying they're fulfilling what they see as a duty they might be only children they've got no other brothers and sisters to support them and they're feeling like their identity is being lost because they are the caregiver and I know again this is a topic that you're um quite versed in as well so what's your kind of view on that uh, not only yeah have I, I've see it with others but I was I lived it because I was an only child and I actually did care for for both of my parents right right to the, the end of their lives um it's tough and it's hard going and um yeah luckily I mean my parents weren't um that weren't manipulative and things like that but it's still heavy and especially when you've got a life and work to be doing and things like this as well so it is a division but I think it's something that um, I would certainly say to people have these conversations beforehand you know what because I know my daughter is not going to be looking after me you know I have I have no qualms about this because I, I don't think I will either <laughs> You know, so I think you know it's important that we start um, having these conversations early on and do the planning and put plan uh, plan plans in into place because also you know going into care and things like this now there's a lot that you can go in earlier and get gradual more support and it's something that you know if we are lucky you get old because there's an awful lot of people that don't get that luxury. So I think it, you know, it's something special that you've actually got. And the more you can do for yourself for the longer, the better. But I think it's something that can be planned and discussed. It's like wills. So many people, you know, don't do wills because they think, oh, no, it's time. I've got time. Well, how do you know you've got time? You know, we've got no yeah. guarantees, you know. And I mean, if I were to round the codependency thing off, it would be sort of tips for people around um, keeping healthy relationships, whether they be family, romantic, with your children, whether they be with friends, keeping boundaries, just making sure that you've got really good boundaries. And you say no, if you don't want to do something, you say no to it, that they don't become your entire life, that you have hobbies and interests and things outside of those relationships. That also you take time for yourself uh, to rest as well um and it, yeah just if you don't want to do something don't do it. it it shouldn't feel a sense of duty to do something and it's, it's easier said than done but the more you can surround yourself with other people out of those relationships friendships 
um, the, the the more your self-esteem is going to be built up because if you make one person your entire world, you're going to erode that sense of identity. And that's when I end up working with people when they've got nothing left and they feel like they're, they're a shell of what they previously were. What about your view, Linda? Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, that's a really big, big topic, you know, learning to say the word no. You know, it's a tiny word, but so many people have it here, but to actually get it out here is such a big step, you know, and the, and the boundaries are absolutely key. And that goes for everything in life you know friendships relationships you know colleagues all sorts of things so it's really important to, to uh, perhaps it's another a topic for another day I think uh, I think so I think it is leading us nicely into uh, future topics but yeah I mean this codependence is huge 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 and if anybody's got any kind of questions around it we're happy to pick it up again in, uh, in another future session um, but if you want to email me it's info at soundproofbox.org what about you linda yeah mine's uh, everything's just in my name because that way i can't forget it so it's just info at lindasage.com and all the social medias as linda sage as well so you can find us lisa's always uh, out there posting she's incredibly good at that so uh, get in touch drop us a line ask us questions we love to hear from you thank you so thanks for being with us and uh don't forget, be in touch and we will be back with you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to True Crime People and Places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.